Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Meta, that's the company that now owns Facebook, or Facebook, the parent company that owns Facebook, changed its name to Meta. It's the same company they just rebranded. They have warned that one million Facebook users have had their login information potentially compromised. And this is... And obviously, I figured you would like this story because it, it, you know, bashes Facebook to some degree or not. You know, I think I'm probably one of the few uh, Free Talk Live hosts still on Facebook, but I, f- I find it useful. You know, despite all its flaws, it it is useful to me. <laughs> yeah, I I I get it. Um, I my position on it is that I'm not on Facebook to be clear, but are you on any social media? I am. I'm on Mastodon. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if Matrix counts as social media. I'm on Matrix. I'm on, um, you know, I have a, I have, I have a, I have a, I have a show. I, I, mean, I guess that doesn't, that's not really social media though, I guess. Uh, but you, you can do comments like on the, sure, on the site where you download the show. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what, where else I am. On, well, you're on but... Matrix, and that's basically just Discord, and Discord qualifies as social media. It's weird to okay. think of the Matrix server as being social media, but I, I guess it is. It, it's we I, I, we tried defining social media at one point, and it became really yeah. vague and unclear what exactly is social media and what isn't. It, yeah, it's it's weird because social media existed before social media. Except it, based if you have a broad enough definition, right? Right, like BSS and things like that, or BBS is what I'm thinking. BBS, IRC, you know, I mean, like chat, just in general. Yeah, AIM. I mean, I mean, I don't. If, again, but I, I think social what's the media, fundamental difference between like IRC and you know Discord? Except one has more of a GUI. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I guess the only difference maybe maybe certain chats uh, systems wouldn't be social media because it's not one to many. Um, but I don't know. Good point. But Facebook is warning that 1 million users, uh, they're warning 1 million users that their login information may have been compromised, not by Facebook, surprisingly enough, but through malicious apps. Meta's researchers found more than 400 malicious Android and Apple iOS apps this year that were designed to steal the personal Facebook login information of its users. Now, for those who don't know, you can... When you download an app or you when you install an app or you sign up for some website or something like that, you're typically presented with several ways in which you can create an account. There's usually the the tried and true classic method of creating an account using your email address and a password. But there's easier, faster ways usually to create an account that's tied to your Facebook page or your Twitter page mm. or whatever. And it's it's usually faster because that's just a single press of a button. When you have a uh, some account, whether it be Facebook or Google or whatever, and you use it to log into you know, other websites, basically. It's super convenient, and I like it. It's insecure, obviously. Oh, yeah. but <laughs> It's a bad idea all over, but I mean, yeah. It, it is, but if you don't care about the thing, like me signing up for, I don't know, Discus, uh, which is D-I-S-Q-U-S, I think it's a mm. chat service that's utilized on many different websites. You know, you ha- create an account in one place, and every website that uses Discus, you know, has notifications, and you can log into it or whatever. If it's something like that, I don't mind using my Facebook account or my Gmail or whatever because, okay, worst case scenario, someone gets access to my notifications and my ch- and you know can take control of my chats on the internet somewhere. See, I understand using weak passwords because it's you know lazy, right? But I don't well, yeah, understand using manage- a single sign-on system. It just seems like a bad idea written all over it. Well, password managers exist now, so I don't even understand weak passwords anymore. I, I used to be one of these people who had like four or five passwords, and depending on the security of the thing I was doing, I would alternate between them. Like if it was just Facebook, right. it would use the, the lower security one. If it was some banking app, it would use my higher security one. But eventually, I got out of that habit, and I started using a password manager which allows me to just have one super crazy secure password and two-factor authentication, not text messaging. Text messaging is not two-factor authentication. It tries to be, but it isn't. It's too easy for someone to call up your phone company and say, hey, I lost my SIM card. Can you send me a new one? Oh, also, I moved. So can you send it to this address? And your phone company will do it. I want to ask you a question, but you probably shouldn't answer it. (laughs) 
Okay. How does it work for multiple systems? What do you mean? So if I'm on another system, that's not my primary system with my password manager, right? You won't be able to log in. Uh, yes and no. Uh, the, the password manager that I use is a browser extension. So I could just... So it stores your passwords in the cloud? No, actually, it doesn't. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that <laughs> that works, but it doesn't do that. Does it? I think I don't know, man. I, I don't know the intricacies <laughs> of it, but I know that. See, now you now you have me doubting everything I've ever thought about LastPass, yeah. which is the password manager I use. I have to say, I am I am very critical of password managers. I do not like the idea of password managers. I had never really given it any thought before about how LastPass really works, which is the password manager that I use. But it is cloud-based, obviously. The more I thought about it, the more I realized it, it absolutely, it obviously had to be. But it does decrypt, I mean, it does encrypt your passwords and your decryption key is never sent to the cloud. So, I mean, it's it's as secure as one could hope for something that is cloud-based. I'm not a particular fan of it being cloud-based. I hate cloud-based everything for the most part. It's I, I would rather store things myself. But when it comes to passwords, there really isn't a great solution to, to the password problem. You either have 5 million passwords or you use the same 5, 6 passwords on every different site. Yeah, you know, it, this is interesting. Um, I, I think there's probably a place for password managers. I just don't think it's generally a good idea to use them. Well, I would also suggest that it depends on what you're using it for. Right. Right. Like, I wouldn't want to use, I wouldn't want to have the the password to a, a crypto wallet stored inside a password manager, right? That would be something that well. either would be stored locally or, <laughs> and, you know, in an encrypted file, or it would be stored in my brain. You know, that's an interesting question. I, I, th- I think it actually still depends. Um, you know, it's... There could be when you're when you're talking about security, there's often advantages and disadvantages, and you kind of have to weigh them depending on you know what your maybe what you're at, what kind of adversary maybe you're concerning concerned about. For example, you're um, absolutely right. Uh, the whole security thing in the IT world is a trade off between um, ease of access. What's the word I'm looking ease for? Ease of use. Ease, yeah, and yeah. we saw that with user account control and Windows. Vista, maybe it was Windows 7. I don't remember which one it was, but basically anytime you tried to do anything on your computer, it made you enter your password again until everyone went in and turned it off, which which was the only way of making it go away. But you have the same issue with antiviruses and the more secure your system is. Like if if you want a phone that's actually secure and it's not spying on you, it's not sending information to Google or whatever... You're going to lose access to a lot of things like YouTube. I would say abandon your phone. That's what you're really looking for. (laughs) Your phone is not secure. It's definitely much easier to keep corporations out of your phone than it is to like keep the government. And if someone wants in badly enough, there's probably a way to do it. Um, The quantum computing is going to change things in the future. But at the moment, I believe there are charts out there that show that if you have, you know, letters, numbers, symbols, and all of that, and it's at least like 32 characters, it's going to take like 8 billion years for someone to crack your password. So it's more about security is more about risk management. It's, you know, if you have a, if you have a, if you put your, if you get a, I want to say a bulletproof door, but you know, those are really strong doors, you know, it's not going to keep the government out. They're just going to drive a tank right through it. Right. But on the other hand, if you're concerned about a bullet flying through the door, well, it may protect you. It's very similar when it comes to corporations and stuff, at least it's very similar to what happened in the first purge movie when they pointed out that, you know, the security system that they had in this house to protect it, it wasn't going to last forever. And the point of it wasn't to keep everyone, to keep the, occupants safe throughout the night it was to make other houses look more tantalizing so like if mm. if these corporations they want to spy on you and you make it too hard for them they're just going to say screw it let's just spy on this other person who right. isn't making it so difficult yep and that's sort of what they want you know facebook wants someone who's going to install their app and so does twitter and all of these other places and if you are putting too many hurdles in their way then i mean they just 
they don't have the resources or the time or even the desire to go out of their way to spy on you as an individual because, first of all, who are you and why would they care? But there are other targets that are easier for them to look into, Yeah, basically. Th- basically, corporate as a business, right, you're looking, generally speaking, when you when you want to make money, really want to make money, I mean, and that's basically corporations, you're focusing yeah. on the masses. That's where you're going to make your most money. It's not making $5 off each person. It's making one cent off each person. Because if you've got, you know, 10 people and a niche industry and you make $5 off, you, you don't make that much. But if you if you have, you know, 300 million people or billion or 3 billion people or something like that, then all of a sudden that one cent makes you a heck of a lot more money than the 10 people in some niche market that you might be able to focus on at $5 Absolutely. So Meta said that the apps they identified were listed in Apple's App Store and Google Play Store as games, photo editors, health and lifestyle services, and other types of apps to trick people into downloading them. I'm not surprised to hear that about photo editors. This isn't the first time I've heard. There were other photo editors recently that were like stealing crypto passwords or something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what they were stealing, but photo editors, it seems in particular, are like way up there in percentage of likelihood of being some sort of spyware or hmm. you know some other tool to steal your data. Often, the malicious app would ask users to log in with Facebook and later steal their username and password according to the company. Why do you need to log in with Facebook to use a photo editing app of some kind? I don't know. That's a really good question, right? Right. Like, I mean, this this should be like sending, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, like... So- it should be like I, I don't know. To me, I'd be like like thinking like, what is wrong with? There's something wrong with this picture. Absolutely. Know? Well, I mean, that's the way these things work, right? They if if you're using a free app or a free service or a free game or whatever, then you're you're the thing that's for sale. I'm not going to put my most secure, my most important passwords in a password manager. Those are going to be like obviously the the account managing the password for the password manager because you have a one master password that unlocks all of your other passwords right for those who have never used it that master password is obviously not going to be stored inside the password manager it's going to be stored just inside my head and it's going to be super complicated but there are other things that i wouldn't want to be stored inside there as well like decryption keys and stuff like that or decryption passwords i I wouldn't want that to be stored in lastpass or any other password manager but like my amazon password sure why not my facebook password sure again emails these little minor things that yes it would suck if they got hacked but it wouldn't be the end of the world or it wouldn't be devastating it would just be an inconvenience that's where I think a password manager comes in with like managing your Facebook, your Twitter, your, your little, your silly little social medias, your emails and stuff like that. And maybe your bank accounts and things like that, but maybe not your bank accounts. And if they are managing your bank accounts, you should at least have two factor authentication on them. Especially if you can move money out through your online account. (laughs) Yes. And for those who don't know what I mean by two factor authentication, I don't mean when you sign in, they send you a text message. Oh gosh. Because that used to work. But then we discovered that all someone has to do is find out who your mobile carrier is, which is super easy for them to do if they have your phone number. All they have to do is call up your mobile carrier and say they're you and they lost. They need a new SIM card. They just got a new phone. It was always a joke. uh, The uh, two-factor cellular SMS authentication thing. I I never... it's also because SMS isn't secure, right? Right. Like, this has always been like, it, it may make it a little bit more difficult for somebody, but it, it, it's, no, that's not the way a two factor authentication should be. And it wasn't the way it was originally done. The way it was originally done uh, was basically a, um, I, I think they used to call them secure IDs, and I think they still exist, but. They used this for like like banks would use this and particularly for like programmers like connecting remotely or anybody who is, you know, doing some sort of job with a bank um, or other secure facility. They well, would you have- would want someone to be able to connect to your banking institutions network remotely using a text, a code that was texted to them. Right. That that's a terrible idea. Yeah. So I, I don't think Google, as evil as they are, I don't think their authenticator is necessarily any more shady than any others, except mm. Google may store that little that little password that you use to create the authentication mechanism. They may store that in their cloud. I don't know. 
But it is available for phone and stuff like that. For a lot of people, they, they have the Google Authenticator app and they get SMS text messages. And they just don't think there's a difference between opening this Authenticator app and opening their text messages to see. But see, in one of them, the authentication code travels to you from another server. And you don't want that because it can be intercepted, especially SMS, which just stands for, I think, simple messaging system. Yeah. And it's it's not encrypted. It's easy to intercept. And again, uh, SIM hacking has been a thing for a very, very long time. And it's amazing how easy this actually is for hackers, right? Yeah, it's, it's social engineering is what it is. And it basically what happens is somebody calls up your phone company and says, I want to transfer you know, my phone number, they give, they don't give their phone number, they give your phone number. And of course, your phone number is probably out there publicly, you probably given it to other people, you yeah. post it to a forum somewhere or Craigslist or wherever. And, um, and so they, they have it moved to another SIM card, and then they stick that SIM card into their phone. And then all of a sudden, they can receive text messages. So now they can get access to your bank account. And it's that, and you would think that, you know, it wouldn't be that easy. But it is. Uh, I use Sprint, like I said, you can find out what mobile carrier people are using easily. But I use Sprint, and a few months ago, just out of nowhere, a SIM card arrived in the mail. And I was, <laughs> oh, hold on, I, I'm not using this. This is shady, right? Yep. I didn't request a SIM card, and there's no reason why they should have just sent me one. So I just left it sitting there on my desk for a few weeks. I didn't really have the time to deal with it then, and I ended up contacting. Don't tell me it was legit. Uh, yeah, I ended up contacting them <laughs> to find out, you know, why the hell did you guys send me a SIM card? Like, oh, yeah. well, well, we did send you a SIM card. It is legitimate. And it's because <laughs> we just merged with T-Mobile. And so this new SIM card will allow you to access both the T-Mobile and the Sprint cell towers to make your signal a little more reliable or a little faster or whatever. Yep. So there was a legitimate reason for them to do it. But, like, that's not the way companies should be doing this, right? Because someone could have stolen that. And then they could have just had my all of my I, cell data, and I would never even known it was supposed to be coming. Honestly, I would have expected somebody to say to call up your your provider and have them say, "Hey, I lost my SIM" or something like that, and get the provider to send you another SIM, and hopefully they can get it get to your your mailbox before you do to pick up that SIM, and then they have access. I mean, that's another technique, you know, for that's true. social I, engineering. Yeah. I didn't consider that. Americans are freaking out stockpiling anti-radiation drugs and stuff like that. I don't think nuclear war is going to happen, and if there is going to be a nuclear war, I have to tell you, I don't think a pill is going to do you much good. You know, I, I think at that point, just hold on and hope for the best. However, inflation is going to continue to happen. And um, we see that every single month that the new numbers come out. Inflation's a record highs, 9.2%, 9.4%, numbers that mean nothing to people. But what you do know is when you go to the grocery store or you pay your electricity bill or whatever, it's more expensive than it used to be. Uh, that's the experience that we're all having right now. When I go... To get something to eat, like I eat at a, one of my places around here, one of my favorite places to eat around here is a Belgian restaurant called Fritz. And for the longest, my order, including my tip, came out to an even $50 every single time. Because I always ordered two meals at once when I got there and I always tipped very, very well. So it always came out to exactly $50. But then over the last year, the prices hasn't have increased where now... If I was to tip the same amount, it would, hold on, let me rephrase that. $50 now would mean that the CSR at the receiving end would be getting $5 less as a tip. Because that's about what has gone up, about 10 to 12%, something like that. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head exactly which percentage of that $50 was for food and which was tip. I don't remember. I do remember, however, that... If I wanted to be fair and give the customer service representative, you know, what I was tipping previously, I had to increase the pay to $55 for the order, which is a sizable difference in the amount of food costs. And we've seen it all over. Uh, gasoline, of course, got to, I think, almost $5 per gallon. Heating oil here in New Hampshire got to $5 per gallon, and it's expected to get worse, regrettably. The electricity rates, everything is getting more expensive. And you may be wondering, what the hell can I do to protect myself from this nonsense? Well, 
there are ways of protecting yourself from inflation. Historically, gold and silver have been the best ways of hedging your bets against inflation. California, in order to combat inflation, is now giving out stimulus checks to all residents of California, which obviously is just going to make the problem worse. But that's not all governments can do. How does printing money... I don't know, man. Printing more money. Printing money is how he got the inflation in the first place. Printing more of it is not going to reduce inflation. I know. I know that. It's, it's by definition increasing inflation because it's an increase in the money supply. And the state of California isn't going to actually raise taxes to pay for this. And if they do raise taxes to pay for this, then it's a net loss for everyone involved, isn't it? If they're giving everyone $1,500 a month or whatever, but they have to raise taxes to... To pay people that amount of money, then why not just eliminate the tax and let you keep your fifteen hundred dollars in the first place? It gets worse because they have to collect something like twenty five hundred in order to give you fifteen hundred. Yes, because there's the middleman fee and, <laughs> right. and the processing and all of that other nonsense that goes into it. So it's a, it's a net loss for everyone involved. And that's what I don't think people understand about these these stimulus checks and stuff like that. They're oh, they, they, you know, they'll tax people to pay for it, but. You, they'll tax you to pay for it. They're literally going to steal fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars from you, do some nonsense with it, and then send you fifteen hundred dollars back. And people will say, "Thank you, government. That's so helpful." I don't know why, but that's what they do. And so I guess we're going to get into that story now because I just closed <laughs> out of it and I didn't mean to, but I can bring it back up real quickly. So yeah, that's the story. California one thousand fifty dollars is up to the the payment that people are going to receive. California on Friday, be, they've, they're already deploying this. Okay, I, I got to ask, what are they doing for businesses? Because usually what happens is whatever they've done for you, they've done 10 times over for businesses. And so you're actually going to be paying way more than 30% we'll see. cost overhead because most of that that gets taken from you ends up going to the business, not you. We'll see what the article has to say. I don't think it'll mention that, but California today began deploying one-time payments. So these are one-time payments. It's not recurring, at least, even though <laughs> even though the price increases as a result of inflation by the government are continuing to increase. So they'll, they'll release more stimulus checks, right? That's what the government said. I'm surprised we haven't seen more stimulus checks from the federal government already. During the COVID-19 pandemic, which, you know... I don't want to be one of those people, but if I hadn't been told by the media that there had been a pandemic looking around, I wouldn't have any any evidence whatsoever that there had been a pandemic other than the lockdowns and the economic crashes and stuff like that. But that was caused by government yeah. in response to the pandemic. Like, yeah, if you look at the numbers, too, it's, it wasn't really that bad. It was like I think it ended up being like three times worse than like the flu season, something like that in terms of deaths. And a lot of those could, were probably the flu, for all we know. Because Well, that's true. It could also be the flu. <laughs> the flu itself, too. And this year, what are they expecting this year? I don't know, but I, I don't think they're going to be able to sell the COVID fear like they had in past years. Time will tell, though. However, they're not going to stop inflating the currency anytime soon. This this spat between Russia and Ukraine is just a new excuse for them to inflate the currency. And although... The United States has not yet gotten involved in it. I tend to think the United States wants to be involved directly in the Ukraine-Russia conflict because it gives them an excuse to further inflate the currency. I, 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 that, that was kind of funny. Not involved. What about all the money they sent and all the weapons they've already sent? I mean, directly involved. Understood. I, I think the U.S. government wants actual boots on the ground. I think they want to invade Russia. Mm. I really do. And I think the reason they haven't yet is because they haven't been given a good enough reason to, but I, I think that's what they want. This initiative is being called the Middle Class Tax Refund. And again, why do they call it a refund? This is what I began talking about in the last segment, right? These people, I wouldn't mind it if they were more honest about it. I was like, oh, you know, I'm getting a $10,000 gift from the government or whatever, but they call it a refund. They say, I'm getting back. $5,000 or I'm getting back $7,000. You're not getting it back because you didn't pay in anywhere near that amount in taxes. You're just living off welfare. You're not getting it back. You're just getting it. 
Cut the word back from the the expression altogether. Wait a minute. People who didn't pay taxes are getting this and they're calling it a refund? They're not getting tax. They didn't pay taxes anywhere near, near that extent. Right? Like people like my sister who are getting, quote, back like $10,000. Oh, okay. She didn't pay $10,000 in income taxes last year. I doubt she even paid in 1000 it was probably closer to like three, four hundred dollars in federal income taxes. Was it? Hmm. So I'm I'm kind of curious because there's there's also employers taking money out. Well, or that's, is she one of these people who that's exactly the it. The employer is taking the money out and they're paying that money to the federal government, but, right? But it doesn't come anywhere near ten thousand dollars. Right. The average person isn't paying anywhere near that amount in federal taxes. When you look at their federal withholding, it's like maybe $50 a week or something like that. Yeah, but the withholding is only half of it. So it's... What do you mean? Well, so every time... As an employer, I know this, um, but when I hire somebody, there's what shows up on the the employee's paycheck as you know money being taken out of your pay but then there's double that because there's there's another amount that the employer is paying on to have you as an employee on top of that so what you're right but the the, employer is paying that not the employee i mean the employee themselves who sure who gets a tax quote refund but effectively it would be your money otherwise i mean you would have a you'd end up with a larger paycheck it's just an amount that you're not told about i suppose but even so, that number doesn't come anywhere near the amount that people are getting, quote, back from the government. Like you have your McDonald's workers who have three kids or whatever. They make $12 an hour and you know maybe $40 a week is going to federal taxes and they're going to get back $6,000 in January when they do their taxes or whatever. They're not paying in anywhere near the amount that they're getting on their refund. And it's not a refund it's not getting the money back. It's just getting it. Well, where's that money coming from? Other people who do pay in, like the the upper 1% business taxes, property, probably property okay. taxes, and just inflation in general. I don't know. Well, I mean, it depends on whether we're talking about the federal government or state government, right? Well, it's the federal government that they get the biggest tax refunds from. I wanted to call in because you mentioned the gold back earlier in the show. And I've heard this come up many times, and I've looked it up, and uh, it's beautiful. But Yeah, they absolutely are beautiful. It has, it has a fairly high signage premium to it. And I'm wondering, what, what problem do you guys see that it's solving that Bitcoin over Lightning Network does not solve? <laughs> All right. I mean, fair, fair question, I guess. Um, Bitcoin over Lightning Network, it's not easy for the average person to use um goldbacks are very easy for the average person to use it's as easy for them to use as cash all they have to do is pull it out and hand it to someone and it's that simple uh using bitcoin over the lightning network is not that simple uh you have to know how you have to you have to know the ins and outs of cryptocurrency and to use the gold back. You don't have to know anything about gold and how it functions or currency or any of that. You just have to know, hey, this is a piece of gold. This is a piece of currency that's worth you know this amount. But you have to know how to set up an, a connection to a node. You have to send a certain amount of Bitcoin in or, to that node in order to establish that connection and keep it open and lightning the lightning network is just way harder than cryptocurrency is in general i think um it's not it's and it's, it has more to do with the tools probably and the rollout at least uh, as it has occurred thus far um as somebody who uses cryptocurrency on a daily basis i can say it's not easy no but cri- okay. cryptocurrency is easy cryptocurrency is but not the lightning network lightning network is like yeah, that's a that's not something that at least at this point has and it's been years we've been waiting for it, and it just hasn't ever materialized. If you have, you know, four thousand dollars worth of gold backs or about an ounce of gold in gold backs, you can't just throw that in a furnace and smelt it down to get your ounce of gold out of it. And that that's the one thing I don't like about the gold back. In order to get the gold out, you have to use this special process that's beyond the capabilities of the average person. Whereas silver coins it's right there. You have the silver. But uh, yeah, I've, I've certainly considered buying them just for the art. But I, I just I find it hard to justify the the premium as an exchange value. Right, I understand that. I mean, the premium is a is a catch for many people. And when they were 
first used at the Porcupine Freedom Festival and Forkfest a few years ago. That was one of the issues we had with people. That I think it was three dollars each stem, but the value in gold of a gold back was something like two dollars and something. People were like, but why am I paying three dollars for this when it's not three dollars worth yeah. of gold? I, I think the best answer to that is I don't care if I'm paying. First, first of all, I would rather receive gold backs, right? I don't want to. I don't want to buy gold backs. I want to receive them. But to the extent that I am buying them, as long as I'm able to spend them at the price that I bought them at, I don't care. And I don't know why anybody else would either. If you want to use goldbacks, use them for what they were designed. Use them for as a currency. And if you don't, if that, if that's not what you want, then maybe maybe the um, silver dimes are what you want, not 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 the goldbacks. Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases and legislation is now available for veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government. There may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037. California had a record 97.5 billion surplus this year, which is surprising. I didn't think that California was going to be a net tax payer to the federal government, but evidently they are. It finalizes budget, including, well, that doesn't mean, it just means it raises more money in taxes than it actually spends. It doesn't mean that it pays more to the federal government than it receives, which New Hampshire does. Uh, California, uh, I know they go back and forth between uh, raising, not having enough funds, um, uh, or not having raised, how, how would I say that? Not having collected enough ta- in taxes uh, to having a surplus. I. I, I just avoid California altogether if I can. I, I certainly, I, I suspect they have a fairly high tax rate, so I, I would be stunned if they didn't always have a surplus. I, I think the problem with Cal- California in particular is it highly depends on how the economy is doing. Okay. And yeah, sure. some some years, you know, I mean, you got like Hollywood and you got the IT world and sometimes tech ah, companies yeah. are doing really well and sometimes they're not. So. So California Governor Gavin Newsom says, we know it's expensive right now, and California is putting money back into your pockets to help. Well, that may be true, because this money was originally raised, it sounds like, from California taxes. So these would actually be refunds to the people of California, whereas most of the tax refunds aren't actual refunds. But this is like property taxes and state sales taxes, state income taxes, and things like that. That's what caused this surplus to exist. And they're, quote, giving back about 10% of that surplus. Remember, they have a $97.5 billion surplus this year. But they're only giving you, the taxpayer in California, (laughs) $9.5 billion. You may be wondering why. I I don't know. Like It seems to me that they had this $97 billion surplus. All of it should go back to the people. But, of course, that's not what they're going to do. I didn't realize people actually use the television to watch YouTube. Yeah, to watch anything. I, right? I knew that was a functionality of the smart television, but well, mine's not really even a smart television, right? It's just it supports apps. Uh, see, Isn't when I think that of smart, what a smart television is, see, when I think of a smart device, I think of something that thinks. Oh, you're thinking of like, and that's what makes it smart. AI, artificial intelligence. I guess. But that's not what smart a smart television is. Smart television just basically means you can install apps but on that, your television. But that's a dumb television. It's a, now, a dumb television would be like your old analog you know, televisions that don't have any update capabilities. I, I just don't see my television as being smart just because... It's, it's I guess smart I disagree with people. stupid, but... Yeah. <laughs> I guess I disagree with people on what a smart I, television is. But yeah, it's super convenient. Yeah. I, so... 
I'm used to having, all right, so I might have a smart television, but I don't use the smart television. I I have a computer hooked up to the television. Right. And to me, that's like how I see, I, I don't, it doesn't even occur to me that people would actually use the apps on their television to watch television. I think most people do. I think no. you're probably right. Um, I just, it, I just, I don't know. It's just like, it just seems so weird to me. When I had a computer in my bedroom, it was a lot better because then I would just, you know, switch over to my PC input and throw up a browser, hit full screen and watch whatever I wanted and not have to deal with that. Yeah, see, that's how I would think most people would watch television because- Most people don't know you can hook a computer up to a television. I, it's so crazy. I, I know, but like, isn't that how people were watching televisions before smart televisions? No, they were watching like Comcast and cable and, you know, that kind of stuff. No, they, they had like- Little devices like Roku devices and things like that, right? Ro- I I think Roku is just to, a smart be, television for people who can't afford a smart television. Roku was the smart television that you plugged into the television before smart televisions. Right. But they it, still have Rokus and similar types of devices that you plug in, and they're more powerful than what's, I would think, on most people's smart televisions. Are they? I think so. I, would I, think. I thought they were just different. I thought it was for like... People who wanted the $200 television instead of the $600 one. For most people, having children isn't even a bad decision. It's not a decision at all. It's just something that they do because they think that's what they're supposed to do. They don't put any thought into it whatsoever. They just think, oh, well, I'm an adult now. Time to pop out some kids or whatever. I know very, very few people who actually sat down and was like, you know what? We're at, we're at a point in our lives. Let's <laughs> let's plan out the next five to ten years, and you know, if A comes true and B comes true and C comes true, then we'll have kids. Most people that I've ever met through my entire life were just like, "Yeah, I got knocked up," or "Yeah, I got my wife pregnant," or "My girlfriend pregnant," <laughs> or whatever. It's like these things don't happen accidentally, right? It's irre and it's irresponsible for people. I wouldn't bring home a cat. Without giving it a lot of serious consideration. And these people are just having children without giving it any any consideration whatsoever. You know, I, I think there's a there's a mix in our society where there are people who plan it out better. But I think you're talk I think there's definitely a segment of society that you're talking about. And I haven't encountered this as much, I think, as you, but there's, well, I'm from Mississippi, where it's extremely right, right. common. So I, I'm totally understanding where you're coming from. Um, I, I know, um, I know, like uh, my brother and I, I think the me and my older brother, anyway. I think we were. How do I say this? Uh, let's see. Uh, he was planned for. I was attempted, and let's see. Uh, it, it didn't happen for a, for for a long time, for many sure. years. Um, and then my youngest brother was unplanned for. So, okay. Well, I mean that, that's still family planning, right? In my experience with people, they don't plan at all. They don't, they don't plan any of them. And the government then turns around and rewards them for that. Like here, we're talking about the state of California giving out stimulus checks, uh, quote refunds. And these do actually appear to be refunds totaling about nine and a half billion dollars. Payments for eligible couples, just for being married, you're going to get more money here. That frustrates me as a single unmarried person. It's like, what part of being married, of getting the government involved in their relationship, warrants getting back more money? It's like a reward. Hey, you got the government involved (laughs) in your relationship. Here's some extra money. So just for having kids, here's an extra 350 bucks. Pretty screwed up, if you ask me. Individual taxpayers with $75,000 or less. It breaks this down a bit more. And, you know, if you make $150,000 or whatever, that doesn't mean you're not going to get a payment. In fact, payments are gradually phased out with up to $500,000 in income for married couples. You know, there's a limit. You know, at a certain point, your income level gets to a point where, oh, it's not worth bribing these people because they're not going to vote based on the little bit of money we're going to give them. Well, if you're making two hundred something thousand dollars a year, what the hell is and they're not giving you a thousand fifty dollars because you're on the upper end. Like you're near the end where they're phasing it out completely. Let's say you make two hundred and thirty five thousand dollars a year. What the hell? They're going to send you a a forty five dollar check or whatever. I I can't imagine that person would even bother to cash that check or deposit it. Well, I guess depositing it would be easy. 
but it's a waste of their time. So this is these are already being sent out direct via direct deposit between this month and January. Anyone who filed their 2020 state returns is getting access to this money. Here's the important question. Will the payments cause inflation? California is not the only state, they say, to deploy one-time rebates amid budget surpluses. Florida is sending $450 out to certain families with kids. Again, it's families with kids who are getting all of this nonsense when they're the, I'm sorry, they're the drags on society. They're, they're the least productive people because they have to spend so much of their time simply raising little mouths to feed that aren't contributing anything to society. <laughs> and I realize I sound horrible saying that, but let's just be honest here. Your six-year-old child is a net drain on your resources. And if society is giving you money to pay for that child on society as a whole, and maybe one day that child will grow up to be a... a contributor to society but at the moment they're just a waste of time a waste of money a waste of resources and maybe you love that child that's great maybe you want to provide for that child that's wonderful you should but it's not my child i don't care about it this is for marketplace and it's why the first amendment also protects code so the first amendment serves as a check on government intervention into our public expression through, for example, spoken or visually signed speech, writing, protesting, and coding languages like JavaScript, HTML, Python, and Perl. Computer code as free speech is a relatively new legal concept, but has a complicated history. Uh, Marketplace's Kimberly Adams spoke with technology lawyer Kendra Albert, a clinical instructor at Harvard Law School's Cyber Law Clinic, about the history of code as protected expression. The following is an edited transcript of the conversation. So uh, let's see here. Kendra Albert uh, says the seminal case on this is the first or is the 1995 case. Yes, this is, this is the big case. It's, it's involving cryptocurrency or not cryptocurrency, but cryptography. Yep. Uh, is it used to be illegal to export software or to allow somebody to download software from a server if it had what they would call like high grade encryption, which just basically means it couldn't be broken easily. The By seven, the government, right? Is right, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. The government made it illegal for the average person to buy or create or download and, software that allowed you to have secrets from the government. Yeah, and, and I shouldn't we we say the government but it's not necessarily just the government potentially if it's if it's weak enough uh sure. then not just not only could the government potentially break it but so could potentially another party. So it they're basically saying it's illegal for you to allow anybody to have privacy or security. Uh, and again, this is this goes all the way back to 1995. So the internet was kind of new at that point, and it's you know <laughs> these things had to be hashed out. But it's amazing that the government even attempted to do something like this in the first place. Yeah, I mean, they basically were they would have liked to have outlawed encryption. Is oh, what of course, would have come down to. But they were like, okay, well, we have our own, you know, banks, you know, banks. You know, online banking, all of that, you know, online ordering, you know, that was a huge market and it was developing and it's like, OK, well, we have to have some sort of encryption for that. So the seminal case on this is the 1995 case involving a cryptographer named Daniel Bernstein, who used the United States government for restrictions called export controls on encryption. And at the time, the United States made it illegal to export cryptography software and it was regulated actually as a munition like a weapon for the little bit of bad that might occur as a result of free speech there's far far more good that comes as a result of having free speech absolutely and you don't want to undermine all the good just because there's a few bad actors um and i think it's you know it's it, what's the people often excuse well we have to have this law because you know or we can't have good things because you know there's a, there's these bad people out there well no you you can accept that there's going to be some bad stuff happening in order to have all of the good 
Um, so I think it's a very poor, you know, excuse as to why we need to have laws is, oh, because there's some bad people out there. That's ridiculous. Well, there's always going to be bad people out there and the laws don't seem to do anything to stop the bad people out there. No, of course not. They're reactionary. They're not, yeah. you know, they don't stop whatever bad is going to happen. All they can do is like try to scare people into being good, but it doesn't, most people who are doing bad aren't thinking about the consequences of, you know, their actions anyway. So it doesn't. It doesn't even have the effect that the government, you know, tries to sell it to us as, you know, yeah, it's no. And I certainly don't want a more proactive police force out there attempting to prevent crimes before they occur. That that's not what I want by any means. But uh, the Netflix series Dahmer, which is a uh, some sort of series about the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, is popular right now, and you know, murder was illegal. At the time that he did all of that stuff that he did, (laughs) the fact that it was illegal didn't stop him. And I don't know about you out there, but if murder was legal right now, I still wouldn't kill anyone. It's, you know, it's disturbing, but at the same time, like that, that case is particularly disturbing, right? But at the same time, if you start looking at like, you know, the numbers, they're really serial killers. They don't generally kill at least the ones that get caught tend not to have actually killed that many people relative to the number of people the government kills, right, on a regular well, basis. Sure. And it's just it just seems so absurd to be so focused or so freaked out by, you know, the random serial killer or the random murderer who, by the way, most murderers aren't serial killers. So it's not likely even those who have committed murder, and I'm not just trying to justify murder here, but even those who have committed murder, if you didn't lock them up for the rest of their life, the chances of most of them committing murder again or a second time or a third time is still really, really small. That's not everybody. Obviously, there are some serial killers out there, but most people who commit murder are committing murder because, you know, some sort of relationship, you know, goes bad or something something that's not likely to happen again or they're not likely to kill again, even if they weren't in prison. New Mexico has been ranked uh, the number second for with a, the most harm done to another person. I, I didn't never know that they had a rating for that. I think it was announced like that. So, so number I want to make sure I understand. New heard. Mexico was rated as the second state. On this ranking, uh, the second one where there is the most violence done from one person to another, right? Yeah, like, like namely, like murder. Like, yeah. if somebody kills somebody, that would count as harm done to another human being. Well, I would say so. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, I think number one was, I think this is per capita. So, Florida was number one, but we came in second because I think. Well, congratulations. I don't have a silver medal for you. Yeah. So um, so this is all including assault, attacks on bus drivers, like, and then rapes, um, and all of that. Hold on. Did did this ranking specify attacks on bus drivers, or is is that you specifying that, Sarah? Well, no. I mean, mean, harm done to another person. In other Uh words, if you beat up a security when you're robbing something and then you like beat up a security. I know what harm is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, but I never knew that they had this kind of ranking. So it includes everything thrown in altogether, everything that's harm done to another person that has been recorded and collected. So what do you think about these, uh, this ranking, Sarah? Do do you think we just need one more law to make it, make it super illegal for people to inflict violence on one another? Well, the thing is, New Mexico has been very... The criminals come here because of our lenient laws. For some reason, we're just easy with the criminals. The laws, they don't sentence um, them too much. And and I'm, I'm thinking that my, my reasoning is because this state has been founded by a bunch of criminals, right? Originally, look, <laughs> you're laughing. Look, but the, I mean, but I mean, I, I mean, don't that, know the history what, of New Mexico, so I, I don't know if that's true or uh, not. Well, I mean, he's laughing, but it's, I mean, there's some, some kind of truth to it. Our, our famous uh, fugitive was uh, Billy the Kid, but before, besides him, there was a slew of them. They would have gotten hung 
in the Carolinas and the 13 colonies that run out here and established the state. So this was like the, the state that nobody wanted, nobody cared. So, and that's who established the law. And You're doing a great job of selling the state, Sarah. <laughs> I, I, I already want to move there. I, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering, are you proud of this, Sarah? Well, I mean, the thing is, the, I'm not, yeah. I, no, I really don't like this at all. I don't, I want okay. my death penalty back. Good Lord, Sarah. We've been over this, though. If you have a death penalty, you know, some number of people are wrongfully convicted when they're actually innocent, right? I actually wanted to talk about this uh, this total virtue signal that Joe Biden pulled yesterday, where um, at the va- at the very last minute that he possibly could, so he so his party um, to try to reduce the chance of the shellacking that his party will take in the midterms, he disingenuously pardoned a bunch of marijuana offenders, which which by the way I agree with. And I don't think that anybody should be in jail for this in the first place. Oh, yeah. I I had seen bits and pieces about that. I didn't follow it very closely, but I saw, I think, hundreds or maybe thousands of pardons. I don't remember the exact number, but it looked like a lot, right? I think it was a lot, but this is why I I don't buy it. He didn't do it because it's the right thing to do. And like, like, because no politicians ever do anything because it's the right thing to do. He did it because the, the only chance he has left to not take the shellacking in the midterms is to try to motivate a bunch of young people who don't know any better about any other political issues besides these really super like surface level social issues that, you know, their friends tell them are important. And if Joe Biden really cared about what he says he cares about, like letting people who, who uh, committed these quote unquote crimes out of jail, he would have done that years ago when he first became the president, and he's just now doing it. Like, what the hell? Like, if you really care so much about these people, why wouldn't you have just let them out of jail when you became the president? Like, why would you make them sit in jail? You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.